Good morning to each one. Greetings. In Jesus' name. I've been impressed many times with how what God leads as far as message ends up dovetailing with the Sunday school lesson. I'd looked at the Sunday school lesson, not in depth, I'd read over it uh, a little bit last evening. And uh, of course, you never know what direction Sunday school is going to take. You know, each teacher sees things differently, takes things different directions, and the discussion goes different ways. I was very blessed with our discussion this morning and the way Brother Glenn took the class and with some of the things people shared and sat there in amazement at how what God laid on my heart for this morning dovetailed with our discussion in the men's Sunday school class. chosen to speak on a subject this morning that has been on my mind. This has been brewing for some time in my mind. It's a subject that we hear people talking about. We, as individuals, may talk about this sometimes among ourselves. I'd like to talk about investing. Now, you probably already your mind probably ran fast enough ahead that you've probably already guessed that I'm not going to stand up here this morning and talk about stocks and bonds and mutual funds and real estate. And that's mostly correct, but yet that ties together. There's a principle of investing that I want us to consider this morning that will affect all of our life, not just our financial holdings. First, I want us to consider what an investment is. I want to look at a definition from Merriam-Webster. There's three definitions that Merriam-Webster gives, And they all apply. I want to, I want to draw from, from this. Number one is to commit money in order to earn a financial return. Number two, to make use of for future benefits or advantages. An example is invested her time wisely. Number three, to involve or engage, especially emotionally. An example is they were deeply invested in their children's lives. So all of these definitions touch on what is on my heart this morning. We see in, in this that an investment is something that is made by taking something of value there in that first definition, it's, it's often money. Taking something of value and committing it to a certain use in order to, to earn a financial return. So keep that in mind. An investment is something made with the hope of a future return of a greater value than what was initially invested. 
That second definition then, to make use of for future benefits or advantages, it kind of ties in with, with that, the thoughts on the first uh, definition. But you know, it gave the example of someone you know, using time wise, wisely, you know, investing her time wisely, it said. Again, the idea there is of doing something today with a future goal in mind. To be able to gain something of more value in the future. So keep that in mind as well that an investment doesn't need to be made with money. It can be made with such other valuable things as time. The third definition speaks of emotional engagement. The example was they were deeply invested in their children's lives. It tells us that our emotions, our thoughts, our mental faculties can be invested. We put forth a lot of mental thought and, and effort regarding the things that are dear and close to our hearts. Investing our minds in seeking a good future outcome for those things. Use the, the example that they use, used in the dictionary was investing. They were deeply invested in their children's lives. You know, speaking of, of a, an emotional uh, giving with the hopes of a future return. I want us to realize today that we are continually investing. We all take things of value and spend them or exchange them in something else in, in hopes of a future gain. We, we give up or we place something of value so that we gain something greater back. We do it often. I don't know if you ever thought about it or not, but you're driving down the road and you stop at the convenience store and buy a bottle of pop. You're making an investment. You are exchanging, let's just say, a dollar bill for an experience, a, a pleasure that you are anticipating is going to be worth hopefully at least as much or more than that dollar bill that you just spent. You know, for me, maybe if I'd be traveling down the road and it's in the evening or at night, I tend, I didn't used to when I was younger, but I tend to fight sleep. And I would very quickly, you know, I didn't do it last Sunday evening, I preached at a church in Maryland and they offered us coffee, and I turned it down halfway home. I regretted it. But if, I was, if it wouldn't have been Sunday night, I would have gladly pulled into McDonald's and exchanged a dollar bill or two 
for a cup of coffee because I would have anticipated that the return that I was going to get from that shot of caffeine was going to be well worth the dollar or two that it was going to cost. It's an investment. So we, we constantly invest in things. We spend not just money, but we spend our valuable time with our families because we have a desire to invest in them. We're hoping to gain a return of good relationships and to guide our children in that time and instruct them in a way that they learn to walk uprightly and learn to serve the Lord. We go to work or to our business and we exchange or we invest our time and our energies because we have a, a hope of gaining something back in return for that investment. We may find a place to put our hard-earned money in hopes that 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years down the road, it has grown to a larger amount. So in much of what we do in life, we're either investing money, time, or our mental and emotional powers into something that we are anticipating gaining back a greater return. And I believe it's a very important subject because it touches all of our lives. Even if all I'm doing is going in and sitting down on the lazy boy to relax for a little bit, I'm investing time, I'm taking my valuable time, and I'm doing that because I'm hoping to gain a return of relaxation, maybe a better mental or physical state. But if we're investing these valuable things constantly, every day, we need to be thinking about what we're investing in. And if it's in line with God's will, and if it's going to be gaining return for God's kingdom. Because I'll tell you something, if you took... $10,000 today and invested it and you said I'm going to invest this and then it's going to be a little nest egg down the road if you invested it poorly and let's just say 30 years down the road you realize that it hasn't grown or maybe it's shrunk you can't go back and change it and it's the same with, with our time and our, our, what we do with our minds. We have a chance to invest wisely. And if we don't, we're going to reap a return, but it's not going to be the return we desire. I invite you to turn with me this morning to a short, familiar account in Scripture of a person who made a very small investment, but was commended by Jesus for what they did. Turn with me to Luke 21. Luke 21, I want to read the first four verses. 
And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offering, offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. Like I said, this is a familiar account. We've heard it many times. I wonder, have you ever thought about this widow casting in her two mites as her making an investment? In fact, as a side note, have you ever... Let me say that differently. How do you view giving? When, when you come to church and you put your money in the offering or you send some money to Christian Aid Ministries or whatever it might be, how do you view that? Are you giving that money up? Or are you investing that money? I contend today that when we give, we are investing in God's kingdom. We are giving that money with the anticipation of a of that money returning something much greater become or becoming something much greater than what it is in my hand and i believe that as this widow lady who was very poor as she placed that very small amount of money into the collection box there at the temple treasury, I believe she did it in hopes that, she, that there was going to be a, something gained for God and for his kingdom. And I'll look a little bit at this, and, and I want us to think about some practical pointers of how we use our resources. So the setting here was at the temple treasury where people were coming in and out of the temple and I don't know how it was all set up. I think some place, one place I read said maybe there's multiple boxes, but it was a place where the people could come in and put their alms. And as I would understand it, it this wouldn't have been something that was a requirement for the Jewish people, but it was a fund to maybe to help the poor of the land, of the community. And Jesus and his disciples were there sitting and observing. And obviously it was a situation where if you took the time to stop and watch, you could get a pretty good sense of what was going on, what people were putting into the box. And they saw many well-to-do people come and cast in money. And back then, to my knowledge, in that era, they wouldn't have been using paper money like we have, so it was probably all coins, and you can just imagine somebody with a big handful of coins uh, probably made a nice racket. 
But then along came this poor widow and put in two mites. And we don't know exactly how much two mites was, but in Mark's account of this, he says that it was a farthing. And a farthing was a quarter of a penny. And so, it wasn't much. And I thought for our sake of discussion this morning, we could just imagine it as two pennies. Because in our setting today, if you would go to town with two pennies in your pocket, do you think that you could find anything to buy? Does anybody here think you could find something to buy for two cents if you went to Harrisonburg? You know, I remember when you maybe could have found a piece of candy for that price. But, you know, today, pretty much a penny is just almost worthless on, on its own. But it's what she had, and it's what she gave or invested there at the temple. I want to think a little bit about the motives, and, and here we're, we're imagining a little bit, because Jesus didn't specifically say what the motives were, but I think there's some possibilities that we can consider that are probably not too inaccurate. When these rich people were throwing their money into the treasury, why were they doing that? They could have been motivated to help the poor. Hopefully that was their motivation. Another motivation could have been pride and recognition. The, you know, Jesus talked another place about the Pharisee and the publican uh, praying publicly and the Pharisee praying about himself and how good he was. So it could have been that they were there chunking that money in and kind of throwing it in so people would hear it, hit the box, and they'd be recognized for their righteousness or recognized for their display of wealth. You know, an attitude of, look how much I'm putting in, look how, look how good of a person I am, or look how good of a manager I am. I can really give. And you know, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, spoke of giving with that kind of attitude. He said in Matthew 6, verse 2, Therefore, when thou, give it, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. See, Jesus was speaking there that apparently some would even go to the point of blowing a trumpet, you know, announcing, okay, I'm going to give now, so that they would gain recognition. And you know, those people that gave in that way were investing. Were they investing in God's kingdom? No, they were investing in themselves. They were spending their money 
there at that offering box, they were spending their money to gain glory for themselves in the eyes of their fellow men. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said that their investment was paying off. He said that they had gained their reward. And so they were investing in earthly honor in the eyes of men, and they were gaining it. As I said, they also could have been giving out of an attitude of obligation. Doing it because, well, I need to put something in the offering box or people won't think much of me. Again, investing in glory for themselves. This poor widow, on the other hand, did nothing, it seems, to display or call attention to herself and her small offering. You know, she had nothing to be proud of. She had nothing to call attention to. If all you had was, was two farthings, which would be a half a penny, to put in the offering, would you want everybody to know it? You know, she probably did it quickly and as quietly as she could. You know, that poor widow had every excuse to keep that money rather than to give it. Jesus said that she gave all that she had to live on. It says that she, she gave of or out of her penury and... I didn't, didn't include it in my notes. I looked up penury, and it has, has the idea of uh, being exceedingly poor. Uh, difficult circumstances. You know, that, that woman could have invested that money in something else that would have given her a valuable return here on this earth. She could have been investing it in food, in clothing, in shelter, on medical help, and probably some other things. But she didn't. She gave all that she had to live on. And I'm sure she did it with a reason. When you have half of, half of a penny left to your name, you don't just go haphazardly throwing it around. And so I think that she did it very intentionally and with a reason. And I think that she saw a value in giving those two small coins to, to others, giving them to the Lord rather than keeping them for, her, for herself. And we don't know her heart and her motives, but I have to imagine that she had a love for God and a concern for others and, his desire, and, and, and a desire to give that was prompted by that love and concern. You know, her world was much bigger than herself. She had two mites, but she wasn't looking inward. She was looking outward. She was able to look past her immediate needs. 
She was able to look past her wants and her desires to the needs of others and to giving to God. And undoubtedly, she had faith that God would take that small amount and do something great with it. That's investing. Investing something small with the, with the confidence that it's going to become something much greater. And maybe I am wrong, but that's what I see as I, I look at these rich people versus this poor widow. I just see extremely different motives for giving. Now I want us to also think about what Jesus said in regards to these offerings. He said that the extremely small amount that the widow gave, what she put in the offering box, was more than all the others gave. Not just more than one wealthy person gave, but more than all the others gave. Let's just say that in our current values that the others combined threw in thousands of dollars. And she threw in a penny or less. And Jesus said that her two mites were worth more than, than all that the others had given. And there's an important lesson here for us. As, the, as we give, as we invest of ourselves in those, the things that are valuable to us, it is not the amount that is important. But it is the heart and the motive that is important. Jesus was clearly looking at the sacrifice, the willingness to surrender what was valuable that she had, the small amount of value she had. He was concerned about her willingness to surrender it to God rather than the amount. That's why she said that it was more valuable because the other people or just giving, you know, a small amount in comparison to what they kept. Did you ever think about the fact that God doesn't need our money? You know, that's maybe a little shocking because, you know, we hear all these pleas from the church, programs of the church and from Christian Aid Ministries and from other mission and outreach organizations that we need money. We need money to help people. We need money to spread the gospel. We need money to print Bibles. God doesn't need our money. God owns the entire world. It's already all His. What God is looking for is for us to have a willingness to invest in His kingdom rather than in our own kingdom. He's looking for a desire for us to seek the returns of righteousness rather than the returns of wealth, prosperity, and popularity. He's looking for us to be dead to the world and dead to its dividends, but alive to Him. The Apostle Paul pointed this out when he wrote about giving in 2 Corinthians 8, 12, and this is from the New King James. He says, for if there is first a willing mind 
It is accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. And I've been blessed by that verse because that verse makes it clear to us that God doesn't look at the amount we're putting in the offering basket. God looks at our heart and our willingness and our desire to give to him and his work and his kingdom. As I said, we invest things that are valuable to us. We invest time and money and, and emotional effort in hopes of gaining a return. And I ask, are we investing with the goal of a return in God's kingdom, or are we invest, investing with a goal of a return in my kingdom? Small or large, God's going to view our giving and our investing what we're doing with our resources through the desires and the intents of our heart, not through the earthly value that is placed on those, those material things. <clears throat> I want to go back to that thought that we're constantly investing our resources. Giving financially is one aspect but there's many others as well. I want us to consider what we're investing in other areas as well, other than just money. I'd like us to consider the church, consider God's kingdom. Claire made a statement Wednesday evening when he was giving his talk here in the pavilion that really resonated with me because this subject was already on my mind. He mentioned how his father was one of the men who was involved in the forming of our church conference. One of the men who stood up and said, our current situation is going the wrong direction. We're losing out. In a biblical, from a biblical standpoint, and we need to make a change. And he said that, he said, we have today have no idea the time and the effort and the mental anguish that those men put into making that move to form the conference that we have now. That was a prime example of men who invested much time, emotional effort, physical energy, as well as money into God's kingdom because they were expecting to gain a return that was far greater than what they were investing, what they were sacrificing. And you know, that is a... a an investment that we are still reaping the benefits of today, almost 50 years later. Along with that, our church schools are, are an example of something that men put tremendous effort and energy and money into years ago to get that program running. And we still reap the reward today. And I bring that up, 
that really struck me because I see in my lifetime, as we have gradually lost those who remember that initial cost of investment, that we're also losing along with them an appreciation for the return that we have gained on their investment. And I'm concerned that we're at a point where it's easy to coast and to live off the interest of the investment that those men made almost 50 years ago, rather than to continue in, to invest in our church and its programs in God's kingdom. We need to continue to invest. When we start to coast and we start to live off the interest, we're going down the wrong path. I look back and I see men who sacrificed significantly to give us what we have today. And without that sacrifice, excuse me, I, I, I misread that. I look back at the, the sacrifice that those men made. And we have now what they formed without making this, those hard sacrifices ourselves. And my concern is that we are today taking the equivalent time, energy, and money, and, and mental anguish that it cost them 50 years ago, and rather than investing it back into the church and its programs, we're investing it back into ourselves. We need to be investing in the church and in God's kingdom. That brings me to another point of investing. Investing in ourselves and in our families. And we need to be investing much into ourselves and into our families. But I wonder sometimes if our investments are misdirected. I've seen, I've observed families that seem that they have a keen desire to invest in their families and their children so that they have a good childhood, so they have a lot of good experiences. And they seem to have no problem when it comes to buying the toys and doing the fun things that it takes to accomplish that. Yet those children grow up, and so often they leave the church or they have a weak commitment to the Lord. And I propose to you that we can invest heavily in our families in the wrong things and in the wrong areas. And we're going to reap a return on that investment, but we're going to be reaping the wrong return, not the return that we really want. And when that day comes, it's going to be sadly too late. In my short lifetime, I've observed that there seems to be a direct correlation between what a family invests in and the returns that they gain. We are not in control of our children. They can still make choices that grieve our hearts. But I'm afraid we often get caught in the trap of thinking that my children need this experience or our family needs to do that certain thing so that we can build closeness and we can have memories. 
And we end up investing in things that do those things, but yet they yield returns that we don't want. They have a negative outcome. Why? I think it's because many of these things on the surface seem maybe to be good, but yet they're taking our focus and maybe our finances and maybe our time off of the most important things. And we end up being those rich people who threw the large amount of money into the treasury rather than that poor widow who threw in her two mites and was commended by our Lord. I'm concerned that our church and its programs are lacking in funding as well as in personnel resources, but we have garages and sheds full of boats, RVs, dirt bikes, four-wheelers, etc. I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody. Daryl, I thought about mentioning airplanes, but I won't. Mind the spirit of what, what is taking your time and attention and resources. I'm not saying these things are wrong, but so often we invest heavily in things that lead the wrong direction. They, they yield the returns of the kingdom of this world and not the returns of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We neglect the things of the Lord, but we certainly wouldn't neglect to go on an expensive vacation so that we can create memories with our families. Here we work long hours, and then we neglect church and church activities. We have time for the, we don't have time for the church's work, but we have time to work long hours so we can afford all of these things that our family needs. And so we can invest in a secure financial future for ourselves. See, we have the opportunity to invest our resources in things that will give us a return, but we must invest in the right things. And I believe that we can gain some insight in this from Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6. And I ask you to turn to this couple verses. <clears throat> Matthew 6, and I want to read verse 19 through 21. And I'm going to paraphrase slightly. I believe that uh, I can do this without doing injustice to Jesus' words. Matthew 6, starting at 19. Lay not up for yourselves investments on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up your investments in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your investments are, there 
will your heart be also. That last phrase should be very sobering to all of us. I believe that these verses strike at the heart of the issue. The outcome of our investments, what we invest in, and the outcome is tied directly to where our heart is. And the outcome, the, the investment is tied to where our heart is, and the outcome will be tied to that as well. So many of these things that we tend to invest time and money and effort in are not necessarily bad things in, in and of themselves. <clears throat> you know, we have to have jobs. We have to have businesses. We have to, to make a living. So it's not wrong in and of itself. But it comes down to motive. Just like the, the rich people and the poor widow were casting their money into the offering box. So many of these things may be somewhat neutral, but yet they tend to draw us towards an earthly focus and not a heavenly focus. They tend to end up getting our focus centered on pleasures, on earthly advancement, on earthly honor. And as we invest heavily in these things, we set ourselves and our families up to, to reap an earthly return on those investments rather than a heavenly return. As I said, our forefathers invested much in our churches and our schools and so forth, the programs of the church, and we've reaped a good return. But what are we investing today? What are our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren, what are they going to be what rewards are they going to be reaping from my life? I want us each on a personal level, as well as for us as parents on a family level, to consider today what we're investing in, what our focus is, where our heart is, and ask ourselves, will you reap a return that pleases God? Will you reap a return for His kingdom? that builds his kingdom. We need to be heavily investing ourselves in the things of God. In just a few, study of his word and prayer. Investing in the church and its programs. Investing in people, both in the church and those around us that we are in contact with. We need to be investing as well in spreading the gospel to others. And you know, we don't all go out on the mission field as missionaries. But we talked about it in Sunday school class that all of us have opportunities. And as well, we can invest lots of time in, for, for the spread of the gospel and prayer and in finances. And have you ever considered how we send missionaries out and they live on the mission field in poverty or in near poverty while the people that say, well, somebody has to stay home and support them live in luxury? There's a problem with that picture. It's like the rich people and the poor widow. 
Some cast in all, and some cast in out of their abundance. I'm not trying to draw lines where we need to be, but let the Spirit speak. And we need to invest in, in uh, maybe I already said this, in those around us in our communities. That's the type of, of investing that will pay heavenly dividends, that will pay a reward down the road for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren if they're faithful. So this morning, are you going to be like the rich who threw in money out of their abundance? Are we going to commit ourselves to being like the widow lady who gave it all? And I'm not saying that we have to go and write a check and empty our bank accounts. I don't think that's the principle here. But the principle is that of investing for God's kingdom versus investing for my kingdom. God has told us that there's a principle of sowing and reaping, and I'd like to read that in closing, Galatians 6, verse 7, and you don't have to turn there, we all know it. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth or invests in, that shall he also reap. What we invest in will pay a dividend, but if we sow or invest in things of the world, we're going to reap a return from the world, and it's a return that we're not going to want. But if we invest in the things of God and in his church and in his kingdom, we can reap eternal dividends from him that, we can, that can be passed down to future generations and bless many people. It's something small today that can grow as God blesses it into something so much greater. May God bless you.